Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Amen. Before you're seated, we are going to actually read today our our scriptures that we're going to be diving into today, concluding our time of worship together. We've been in a series called Chasing Carrots, and we're actually finishing up today the book of what? Philippians. We've gone through all four chapters, and today we're finishing it up. We've been in the same book of the Bible for three months. Some of y'all haven't even noticed, but that's okay. But we have been consistently walking verse by verse and chapter by chapter through this book that Paul the Apostle wrote to a church he planted in the city of Philippi. These are people he dearly loved. You can tell with the tone of his writing and letter. These are people that were near and dear to his heart, and he spoke that way. He wrote this, this, this book of the Bible from prison, so not in great circumstances, not, not you know from a sitting on a beach somewhere. He wrote this from prison, and this is just a very heartfelt section of scripture that we're going to read together today um, that really shows us what Paul's heart is for this church he planted. Because I mean, just imagine you go to a church or you go to a city, you start a church, then God calls you to go somewhere else. Like, I can't imagine that. Like, if God was like, John, you're going to go somewhere else. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm staying here. We start a life house. But, you know, you know, but at the same, same time, Paul, he was in, he was in a, uh, he was in apostle. So he'd go places and he would go into cities and he would break up hard ground and he would preach the gospel. People would be healed and people would be drawn and they would start a church. They would put in place elders and deacons and leaders. And then he would, he, he, God's sending me to this other city to go and do the same thing. You know, and, and so you see Paul, he hears about things going on in this church and so he writes a letter back to them. But how many of you know the Bible's timeless and timely? Don't matter if it was written to people 2,000 years ago. People ain't changed. Technology's changed. There's a lot that has changed, but there's a lot that hasn't changed. And what I believe Paul said to this church a couple thousand years ago was the exact message we need to hear today in, what is it, March 27th? My God, Easter's in three weeks. So let's go ahead and bring that up. And this is what Paul says to the church. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned. Everyone say learn. Learn to be content. Everyone say content. Whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be, a, uh, to be broke is what Paul's saying. And I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to be a baller. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him, and him is Christ who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, but what I desire is that more be credited to your account. Do you hear the personal nature of this talking, right? Writing. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. 
they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters who are with me, send their greetings. All God's people here sends you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. Would you just right now lift up hands. Jesus, we love you. Speak to us as we dive into your word. We need you. Speak to us, challenge us, and change us today. God, I pray for every person here. Would you bring revelation? We just don't need more information. We need revelation. We need revealed knowledge from you. Would the word of God light up every dark place in, in our lives? Every thirsty place, would you be the living water today? Where people feel lost today, would you be the way? Where in places in people's lives where they feel hungry for something more, would you be the bread of life today? Would you do what only you can do in this place? In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Before you turn around, or before you're seated, turn around, greet somebody, tell them good morning, tell them you're excited to see them and be in church today with them. All right, well, we are excited to be in church today. Are you excited to be in church today? Yeah. Well, we are so glad that you are here. Really quickly before we dive in, if you are a teenager, I want to invite you. If you're in 6th and 12th grade, I want to invite you to go with our youth pastor, Pastor Christian Sinan. Would you just raise your hand up, Pastor Christian? Let's go ahead and, and give it up for our Lifehouse youth and our youth pastor, Pastor Christian. We're grateful for them and thankful for them, and they have an experience of their own in theater 20 right over there so just to answer if you are a teenager you are more than welcome to go uh, with them today but we are excited to finish up our series chasing carrots and before we do that though i do want to want to just pause and just welcome one more time all of those who are here today for the very first time if it is your first time we want to say welcome lifehouse family can we just give it up for all of our guests that are joining us today we know going somewhere for the first time can be a little bit weird, so we just pray that you have felt welcome today, and we just pray that God speaks to you right where you are today, and if Lifehouse is your church home, welcome home. So uh, as, as you, uh, or as we read together today in this portion of scripture in, in this book, there's kind of a theme that permeates it, and that is the theme of contentment, contentment. Did anybody feel how hard it is to be content in this United States culture? We are the people of more, mo money, mo space, mo storage space, mo money, mo problems. The prophet Biggie uh, spoke those words. Wow, we we ain't got no Biggie fans in, in here. Jeez, this is how we know we getting old. This is how we know we're getting old. Like, who's the notorious Big? It's like, come on, come on now. But you know, we are the people of more. And it just seems like no matter what we have, how much we have, how many of who we have, it just seems there, there, there is this insatiable desire within us and this insatiable desire around us just to have more. And we think that as we chase more, it will fill a void inside of us. So we are being conditioned outside and we have this nature inside that wants more. And, and really when it comes to con I think the battle is twofold. And when I say battle, the struggle for, the fight for, the, the obtaining of this life of contentment is something we fight inside and on the outside. Nature and nurture. 
nature and nurture. Because here's the thing. It's easy. Like, when you think of whatever struggle somebody has, you have to think about it in a 360-degree manner. A lot of things people struggle with aren't just nature. It's nurture. It's nurture or nature. It, it, it can be both, right? And, and really what you find is that contentment fits in this same boat. Let me give you an, an example. Whenever it comes to contentment, Scripture is clear and plain that, that we all have this desire inside of us to want what is complete opposite of what God's best is. Like, and, and, and really what Scripture, kind of the terminology that that would be is, like, we have this sinful nature. And sinful, you know, sin simply means like you want what is different than what God's best is. Like sin, is, it, sin within the Greek language and within scripture simply means this, missing the mark. That God has a standard, God, God, has, this, 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 God has this idea of what right and wrong is. And it's crazy how we can even have this desire inside of us to want the complete opposite of what God says is best. Is anybody listening to me? Does anybody struggle with that too? That we can want and desire something other than what God's best is. And what I have seen is that what we will typically do and how this plays itself out practically is we will take good things and want to make them God things. So we will take things that were never meant to be God, we'll put them in a position of God in our life, and what we find is that as we lean on them to be God, they don't have the strength to hold us. So whenever you take a relationship, whenever you take a finite person and you're like, you complete me, what I'm hearing is, oh, crap. <laughs> because when you have the mentality that a finite person is going to meet a deep, infinite need inside of your soul, you're setting up somebody that was never meant to bear that weight to bear a weight that they were never meant to carry. When you, but, but it's not just a spouse. It's not just a relationship. This could be, I mean, what people take and try to make God in their life in this culture is all over the place. Some people, it's money. Some people, it's sex. Some people, it's power. Some people, it's comfort. Some people, it's security. Some people, it's position. So, I mean, it's, it's like we try to, and sports. I mean, it could be a lot of things that we take good things that God created that are not bad in and of themselves. But when a good thing is in the wrong place, it becomes a bad thing. When a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. But that's one of the ways that it plays itself out that we miss the mark. Or we take temporary things to fill an eternal void in our soul. Scripture says this, that God has put eternity in the heart of man. And what that simply means is that we all have this eternal, deep-seated, rooted need to be known and valued and loved and secure and cherished. And the thing is we go and seek out temporary things to fill an eternal void that only the creator who is eternal, God, can give. So essentially we try to take square pegs and fit them into a round hole. And we try and we try to jam it in. And what we find is that that ultimately leaves us many times, though we have so much, we feel like we have so little, which gives us this spirit of discontentment that flows from the inside. Because we think it's circumstantial. But here's the thing also, too, it's not just nature inside of us, it's nurture as well. The United States is a tsunami, the culture of telling you and reminding you everything you don't have said the average stat is you will see, if you're the average social media scroller, you're the average TV watcher, you're the average person living, you will see 5,000 marketing messages a day. 
And most of the time, those marketing messages are telling you what you have sucks. You need more of something else. And if you just had this, then you would be happy. If you just had a little more of this, then you would be happy. So what does that do? You think, oh, I'll just get that, then I'll be happy. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and it's like it has you completely mes- mesmerized in its spell, and it gets into your subconscious to where you don't just have a discontented soul. Now it seeps out, and you have a discontented life. But this was so what I'm going to do today is I want to talk to you a little bit about a little bit about how this has been a planned, strategic attack employ. Not, not not I don't believe in I don't I don't know conspiracy theories. You can take whatever you want, but let me just read this to you. So I don't know if you have heard of somebody called Edward Bernay. He's called the father of modern marketing, father of modern. Advertising. He passed away in the mid-90s, and he was actually brought, he was a psychologist. He was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, and he, and he actually took a lot of Sigmund Freud's ta- tactics on people and kind of like how they operate and function and what motivates, manipulates, and he took those, and he bucketized it and packaged it and actually was hired by, by presidents and corporations to help shape the way people think about things. And he wrote a book called Propaganda. And I want to read you just kind of the first paragraph in, in this book that talks to you kind of about how we have been shaped and formed as people living in the United States to, to think. This is what he says here. He says, the, content and the, 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 the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. I would actually highly suggest you going and, and, and not reading the book, but doing some research on this guy. Because <laughs> as you do that, you will see how in so many ways what we think what we believe is important, what we deem to be true, has actually had a very strategic plan behind it. Paul Mazur, who worked for the Lehman Brothers in the 1950s, he said this, we must shift America from a needs culture to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire to want new things, even before the old things have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. Right? Victor Lebo, and this is a quote in the Journal of Retailing from 1955. You'll see a lot of parallels to the things you feel and the things we see. This is what he says. He says, our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfactions, our ego satisfactions in consumption. The measure of social status, of social acceptance, of prestige is not to be found, or is to be found, excuse me, in our consumptive patterns. The very meaning and significance of our lives today expressed in consumptive terms. The greater the pressures upon the individual to conform to safe and accepted social standards, the more does he tend to express his aspirations and his individuality in terms of what he wears, drives, eats, his home, his car, his pattern of food serving, his hobbies. We need things consumed, burned up, worn out, replaced, and discarded at an ever-increasing pace. 
We need to have people eat, drink, dress, ride, live with even more complicated and therefore constantly more expensive consumption. Y'all feel the weight of that? This is what we are pressure cookered in, y'all. And it's been very planned. Our, our economy cannot thrive unless you feel discontented with what you have. The house, the car, the room. So you, you wonder why there is this desire because we have the nature part of us that inwardly struggles with being content and then we have the nurture part that is just because of the United States that we live in, we're consistently being bombarded with you need more. So do you see, like, because of this, I can almost see why Jesus spoke the way he did. Because I don't know if you, when you read Jesus' teaching, Jesus was very binary. Meaning, he said this, there is a narrow road that leads to life, and there's a wide, no, yeah, no, no there, there's a wide, sorry, <laughs> Jesus, I, I already preached, <laughs> Jesus help me. There's a wide road that leads to destruction, but there's a narrow road that leads to life. Choose one. There's not a third road. He's like, no, like, you're, you're either a person of the kingdom or you are part of the worldly culture. Culture has a way of doing things and the kingdom has a way of doing things. The narrow road leads to life or the, road, the wide road that leads to destruction. Jesus said, you're going to build your life on one of two foundations. You're going to build your life on sand that when the storms come, it will reveal what you're built on. Or you're going to build your life on the rock, which when the storms come, you'll be stable and firm because you've built your life on me. He didn't give a third soil. He said, you've got rock and sand. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't give four ways. Now, we can look at this and we go, man, Jesus just being an egotistical leader. Why is he just, but honestly, if Jesus knows, like, if, if, like um, isn't clarity love? Isn't being clear loving? And that's why I've, I've shifted the way I look at Jesus' words of what an egomaniac to, 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 like, he was being clear because he knew what these ways lead to. But he also knew, he was like, no one's going to do for you what I've done for you. I created you. I know you. I know what deep in your soul it's longing for and needing. So that's why he was very binary. He said, no, wide road, narrow road. Rock, sand. The way, not the way. And I think whenever it comes to contentment, this way is absolutely clear. There is no, I'll just be neutral. No, you won't. The force and tsunami of culture is so strong. If you aren't chasing contentment, you've got to know discontentment is chasing you. So if there is not an intentional turning of, I'm going to chase this, you're being chased. And it's called the United States culture. It is called your inward nature that has this proclivity to do the direct opposite of what God wants. So we're going to chase contentment together today, friends. Is that okay? Contentment must be chased. It must be chased. And I know today, deep down in your soul, your heart, and spirit, you want, you want this secret that Paul said. Let's go back chapter 4, verse 12 through 13. This is what Paul said. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. He's like, y'all, let me tell you about what I've, what I've learned. I've learned this secret of being content in, in, in every situation. Whether, now, some of you are like, come on, Paul, really? 
come on, bro. Every, but Paul could say this. He was in prison, okay, right? Whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. Do you know what he says here? He says, I can endure anything. I can be content because I, I can do all of this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This has been one of the greatest verses that I've been taking out of, con, out of context. Because, like, this is a great bumper sticker. These are great bumper stickers. These are great greeting cards. Everyone wants to hear, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And there's just some things I'll never be able to do. The Jacksonville Jaguars are not going to call me to be their quarterback. <laughs> no matter how many times I say, I can do all things through Christ. I mean, we're pretty terrible, so they might call me. I don't know. <laughs> right, but... <laughs> But, but, like, this verse is not a chant we say to just get us in the right mindset. This is a promise that we can actually live to know God won't give you anything he can't handle. You can do all things. And, and, but the context here, which is so important, is contentment. What Paul is saying here is contentment is found in a person. And his name is Jesus. Contentment is not a circumstance. Contentment is not a standard of living. What Paul is saying here, my standard of living does not affect my satisfied soul in Jesus. And that word contentment in, in, the, Greek, in the Greek language simply means satisfied, satiated. Like, I'm full. I'm good. And that's what Paul was saying. I've learned the secret of being full no matter what the circumstance. What Paul was saying here is that contentment flows from the inside out, not the outside in. Many of you are being held hostage by your circumstances. And you can't obtain content, a spirit of contentment because all of your contentment and your joy is rest upon how your circumstances are doing. Instead of your contentment being founded on and found in a person who's Jesus, who doesn't change, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what Paul says is, is that the secret is not found in how much you have or how little you have or your living conditions or your circumstances. A deep soul satisfaction satiation is found in a person and his name is Jesus. Now, Paul, now we'd have to go into the last chapter to really say, like, why could Paul say this? In Philippians 3, Paul talks about his journey. He talks about how, we're going to actually check it out here, Philippians 3. Paul says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I got mo. So he's basically saying, let me tell you all how awesome I am, okay? Let me just take a, like, it's like, let me do a humble brag. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law of faultness. We'll pause right, right there. What he's saying is, I was the man. In regards to being a religious leader, he called himself faultless. That takes some, I don't know, pride, whatever. It's like, I was faultless. As regard to zeal, I persecuted the church. He killed Christians. He was so passionate. It was like, how could he call himself faultless when he killed Christians? I don't know. It's just... That's how deceived he was, though. But he was like, in and of himself, he said, it was like, I am sufficient. I am great. I am awesome. Every, I had every star on the chart, the top of my class, the status I had. But then he says, 
this. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. And that word garbage there is the Greek word skubala, which just, frankly, it translates as dog poop. Not even kidding. And some scholars have even said that that could even be maybe potentially characterized as like a Greek cuss word, like a Greek vulgar word, because Paul wanted to admit, now don't y'all be going around saying, well, I cuss, well, Paul cussed. No, don't be going around saying that trash, okay? But, what, but because Paul wanted to make clear in light of who Jesus was and what he offered and what he found in Jesus and what he had accomplished on his own, the comparison wasn't even there. His stuff was poop. Jesus was the prize. He's, 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 he says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, for his sake, I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And when I think when you hear and you say, how, why was Paul so content in Jesus is because of this portion of scripture here. Because what was Paul saying? He was essentially saying this. He was found. Like Jesus found him. Like Jesus, like he was off doing his own thing and Jesus found him. Like he was found, like God called him. Secondly, he was made right with God. Like he, he, he could not earn his way to God, he finally found out, and he was like, it's not his good works, it's Jesus' good work. He was made right with God. In other words, he was justified. Thirdly, he was given a relationship with God. He was adopted. He was adopted into the family of God. Can you go to that slide, Laurent? Thank, thank you. Like, like he was given a relationship with God. He was adopted. And fourthly, he would have a resurrection. As you can see, this is what he says in this portion. He's like, I was lost and God found me. He made me right with himself. He gave me a relationship with him and he gave me a resurrection. Can you see why Paul said, when I look at Jesus, contentment isn't found in what I have, it's who I have. And let me tell you what I have in this who. I have gone from being lost to found, a relationship with God. I'm in the family of God. I've been justified by God. And you know what? Death, it's just a doorway into something greater. When I die, I get the resurrection body that I long for. Can you see why Paul said, in Jesus, I am content? It's not a, it's not a what, it's a who. And here's what, what I think Paul is saying. The gospel is sufficient for your soul. I do not want to see, my desire is not to see a church of people who have the beauty of the gospel before them and within them, having and living lives that, that are just discontent, not, not because of who they have, but because of what they have. Because I believe that misses what the secret is. I believe you have so many Christians that be, because they don't understand the depth and the beauty and the breadth of the gospel, they lived lives of deep down discontentedness, and it's because they haven't let the gospel permeate every part of their life. The gospel isn't just a decision you make or, in an, or, 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 or this believing ascent in your brain. It is something that you will be exploring the depths of your whole life. 
is how good and beautiful it is that you have been found by God, that you are in relationship with God, that you are right with God. And one day when you die, you, it, death isn't the end. Death is just the beginning. And there's a reason why Paul, what he was saying was, is I am satiated. Not because of what I have, but I'm satiated because of who I have. Now, I believe some of you will, will be like, this is, this is great, John. You're really passionate about this. You know, you're, you're, you're just, you're, you know, you're sweating. You're sweating up there trying to get your point across. You know? But, you know, you know really, I, 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 I think, though, if we don't find our contentment in the who and we just look for the what, we'll always live with this when I, then I mentality. You ever been there? Well, when, when I get more money, then I'll be happy. How'd that work out? When I get a different spouse, then I'll have some joy. Praise God. When I, then now. When I, then now. When I, then now. And what you don't realize is wherever you go, there you are. You can change the circumstance, but it doesn't change your soul. You can change the, the person, but you're still you. You can change the bank account zeros, but you're still you. You can change who is around you, but you're, you're still you. When I, then I'll. And I think we're held captive by this when I, then I'll thinking. Because we just consistently think like, but, and that is outside in living. That's when I get this, then I'll be good. But the thing is, inside of your soul, it's a never-ending vortex that just wants more. And there is a culture that will try to give that to you. But what I think we need to transition to and what Paul is saying, can you, can you throw that slide up? The culture says, when I, then I'll. The kingdom people say, I have him, therefore I am satisfied. I have him. And what Paul says is because I have him, I have been found. I've been justified. I'm made right with God. I have relationship with God. And I have a hope beyond the world I can see because I'm going to be forever with him in the next world whenever he decides to take me there. There is a contentment in him, y'all, that is available for the people of God. Now, I can hear some of you say, John, this is, this is great. You're sweating. You're doing your thing. But does this just mean that I just like, whatever, God. Do whatever you want, Lord. I'm just going to sit here. Make it happen. I'm just content. Right? Like we, we kind of go to the opposite extreme. Pastor John said to be content. I'm not going to college. I'm not going to do good at my job. We'll treat people like garbage. Just be content. Be, being spiritually soul satisfied and content in Jesus does not mean that you just sit on your hands and sit on your butt and don't try to live an impactful, purposeful life. No. Matter of fact, what I see a contentment life being, go ahead and throw that slide up is you have a satisfied soul in Jesus. You're inside out living. Where he, 
The thing is this, the problem is ambition and passion, when it, when it is not rooted in satisfaction, becomes the satisfaction. Y'all hear me? But as you are satisfied in Jesus, as you find that you realize your soul has obtained what it desperately needed the most, and that was relationship with God and to be found and to be justified and to know you have a hope beyond this world, that when you realize you're satisfied in that, that gives you a firm foundation to be ambitious. Because now you're not going to find your satisfaction in stuff or a position or your bank account or your retirement or this person, but you have got it on the foundation of Jesus. And then that gives you a firm foundation then to live a purposeful and, and impactful life because now those things aren't going to take the place where God should be. So... Then, but as you're living this purposeful, passionate life, you're like, man, I'm, I'm satisfied. It's, it's, then you have this idea of, but you're going to abandon outcomes to God. You stop trying to control what only God can. Because a lot of your anxiety and worry is directly related to what you're trying to control. And if you're trying to be in control, you're trying to play God. And you feel the weight and the worry and the anxiety of that. It's because you're trying to hold a weight that you were never meant to carry. That's God's job. You try to control things you were never meant to carry, then yes, your body will feel it. Your mind will feel it. Your spirit will feel it. You will feel the weight of trying to play a position you were never meant to do. But a contentment is you're satisfied in him. Let's make a difference in the world for Jesus. Because you're not trying to use these things to get satisfaction. You have satisfaction because you have satisfaction. Now you aren't going to use these things. You're going to steward these things. And then as you go and steward, then you, at the same time, you kind of live with this like, Lord, I'm going to strive and I'm going to do passionate, purposeful living, but ultimately I'm going to leave and abandon myself to whatever your will is. And you know why? Because the, this is Jesus' pattern, y'all. This is what Jesus lived. He was satisfied in his Father's love. So he did not go out healing and teaching and preaching and feeding people to get a sense of satisfaction in his soul. He did those things because he was satisfied in his father's love. He was satisfied. So he had a firm foundation that to make a difference in this world. Yet at the same time, what did Jesus pray when he was about to be crucified? If there's any other way, God, for you to do this, would you just do it? Yet not my will, but your be done. He abandoned outcomes to his father. And this is what a, 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 a what I see a Paul style. Paul was a Paul found Jesus and he went out and made a ruckus for the Lord. He did not just sit on his hands. He went out and said, "I have found what my what satisfies my soul. Let's go make a difference." But Lord, whatever your will is, it's this weird tension we have to manage. But the foundation of that ten tension is you have to get your soul satisfied with Jesus. It's a who, not a what. If you are outside in living, your soul will never be satisfied with temporary things, no matter how good and pleasing and long they last. But when your soul is satisfied with who made it, with the creator and the king, like of, of you finding your satisfaction there, then it gives you the freedom not to use things but to serve. That's why I said earlier, the most important thing I can do for any relationship, marriage, whatever, is, is when you see your spouse as the means to your ends, when you see your spouse as kind of being the person that, that's going to complete you, you cannot tell somebody you completely and serve them. You'll only use them. 
But as you get your soul satisfied in Jesus, they don't have to complete you. So you've already been completed by him, so now you're not using them to fill a spot inside of you. Now you're free to love them and serve them. Because it's not a tit-for-tat thing. It's not, well, you'd serve me, then I'll serve you. It's a, God serves me, I'm going to serve you. Because that's what the God of heaven and earth does for me. Y'all, contentment has so many good side effects. <laughs> so, many good ben- so many good benefits. And I pray that we would be a church that seeks to be satisfied, not in what we have, but who we have. Yeah, that doesn't mean we sit on our butt and do nothing. That means we get after it. Because the ambition we do have is purified. The goal was changed. It's not self-fulfillment. It's not self-comfort. It's not self-image. It's not self, self, self. It's we found ourselves in Jesus. Jesus has found us. So from this place of being found, let's move forward. Yet we're going to abandon outcomes. Let me tell you about two side effects real quick of living this life of contentment. Number one, gratitude. What I have found is that those who are not content tend to see everything they don't have. Let's just say the truth. When you're not content, you will take for granted everything you should be thankful for. But when you are content, go ahead and throw that slide up. When, when you are content, you tend to see everything you do have. And because here's the thing, here's the, you see Paul, like, even when he says, he's like, church in Philippi, y'all were the only ones that supported me. He's like, he's thanking them for their support. Because the way Paul worked, he would go around, like I said, he would travel around to, to, different, to different places. And he would just kind of like, if you want to help me, great. If you want to support me, great. But you don't have to. I don't preach the gospel to get support. I just do it to be a blessing. But he, he said, church in Philippi, I want to thank you for blessing me. And you were the only church that did. Do you know what Paul doesn't say? Yeah, that church in Thessalonica ain't give me nothing. Ain't give me a dime. That church in Ephesus. <sighs> Let me tell you, church in Philippi. They bought this church in Ephesus. They didn't give me jack squat. He said, no. Hey, Philippi, thank you. Thank you for what you gave. He was focused on the one church that supported him instead of maybe the hundreds that didn't. Because he said, I don't need it. I know who my supplier is. It's, it's amazing to me the power of gratitude. But you will not have a heart of, and mindset and perspective of gratitude if you are, have a deep discontentedness in your soul. You will see everything your spouse isn't doing. You will see everything your job doesn't provide you. You will see everything bad about your car. When, when stats say only 8% of the world owns a car. So if you have a car, you're in the top nine, you're, you're in the top 8%. And I don't say that to guilt. I'm not saying that. I got a car with 235,000 miles on it. I turn it on and it squeaks for like 30 seconds. Like, if you hear my car, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I have to consistently remind myself of this. <laughs> Like, I'm in the top 8%. But if I were to find it on the outside, the world would be telling me. I'm, I mean, I've had people say, when are you going to get a new car, John? Hurry up. And I'm, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm good. 
I'm good. But, but, but see, what, what I'm, I'm saying is, is if you don't find Jesus as the source, then you'll just see everything you don't have, who your spouse isn't, who your boss isn't, what your job doesn't, pro- doesn't provide. You'll see all the stuff that you don't have instead of looking at who you have, what you have. And I want us to be a thankful church, y'all. Like, I, I know I can get upset sometimes that we've got to come in here and set up every Sunday, tear down every Sunday. We're a portable church. When, oh, Lord, get our own building free, you know, like. <laughs> and sometimes I can have to just remind myself, John, do you realize what you get to be a part of? You get to come into a regal theater. I mean, look at this place. It's, it's, it's amazing. Seats are, comf- com- you know, seats are comfortable. Not too comfortable. If we had those reclining seats, y'all, all of y'all be sleeping. All y'all be taking naps. All y'all be like, we're going to church today, baby. And you just want a 90-minute nap. Is <laughs> what you want with those reclining seats. Screen's not, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's like, but y'all, this is real life for everybody. And my prayer is that as you chase contentment, because you've got nature and nurture chasing you, to see everything you don't have, that you'll pause and you'll say, no, I'm, I know who I have. He's found me. I'm in right relationship. I've been justified. I've got a resurrection. Now, let me focus on what I do have. There is this one guy, Andrew Huberman. I would highly recommend Huber, the Huberman pod, podcast. He's the head of neuroscience at Stanford University. And he has a podcast he does. And he does high-quality training with, like, SEALs, Navy SEALs, Army Ranger teams, high-performance ath- high athletes. He does personal coaching with them, mind, you know, kind of kind of, just, like, specialized mind training and stuff like that. And he's the one superpower he teaches all of them. And this is a non-Christian dude, is gratitude. He says the superpower is gratitude because it shifts your perspective from what you don't have to what you do have. Maybe the most formative practice you can do leaving today to cultivate contentment in your life is to start a journal of gratitude. This is maybe where the final thing you do before you go to bed or the first thing you do whenever you wake up is write the three things you are thankful for because it makes you be mindful. It makes you notice. It makes you practice that. The second side effect we see besides gratitude is, gener- is generosity. It's hard to be generous when you're not content because you always live with a closed hand, right? You always live with a closed hand. And this is what Paul, Paul said in, in chapter 4, verse 17. He said, not that I desire your gifts. So what he's saying is like, not that I desire your support. He says, but what I desire is that more be credited to your account. So what he's, he's saying is like, I just, I'm just not thankful for what you give, I'm thankful for what happens to you when you give. It's not just about what you give that blesses, it's about what is formed in you as you give because giving and being generous is a formative act that shapes you into a different kind of person. It's a practice, it is a discipline. And even what we teach at LifeHouse, whenever we talk to people about giving and those that financially invest in the vision here, is we say giving fuels the vision of LifeHouse, but it forms your heart. Giving is not just about the money we get. What we're excited about is what giving does to you. Giving is a rebellious act against, against the culture. 
that says more. You need more. You need more. And whenever you are generous, not just to the church, but when you are generous to your friends, you're generous to other organizations, you're, you're, you're just generous. You're always looking at what you can give. It is a rebellious act against what the culture is trying to disciple you into. Discipleship is not just a Christian word. It is the word. The culture is trying to disciple you into more, 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 greed, 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 discontentment. Why? Because they want your money, your attention, and your time. That's what they're out for. But as you are generous and you give, it's a punch in the face to the culture. And you say, I will not be overtaken by this spirit of the world. I want to live in the beauty and the simplicity and the joy of the kingdom of God. And Paul, he reminds them here. He says, hey, church, you've been generous. You have been so generous, church. But he says, I want to remind you of this. As you have been generous, don't forget, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. So what, so what is Paul saying? He says, you can't outgive God. Flat out. He's like, as you are generous, just remember who your source is. When you think you are the source, yes, you are limited. But when you know who your true source is, not that you are flippant, but when you have your true source, you aren't afraid to be generous because you know who's the one that has the power to fill your cup. It is him. So so just kind of a side story here in closing. Jarvis, you you can go ahead and come on up. Is that Jarvis? Oh, that's not Jarvis. Who's that? Roland. Oh, what's up, Roland? Sorry. What's up, Jarvis? Jarvis is single. I just always throw that out there. He's single, ready to mingle. So if you are a lady 23 to 32, single, loves the Lord, Jarvis, uh, you can text Jarvis to send, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You can text Jarvis to 757-690-2401. I'm just being stupid. I'm kind of not, but if, you know, if, you know, just if, if, if you want to help the brother out, no, you know, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen, right? (laughs) He's stupid. No, but a funny story, story here, right? So I I don't know about y'all, but one of the things that we like to do, the Ware family, right, you know, right after church is we like to go and get. Mexican. Anybody else here? Mexican food, baby. I'm like, give me all the corn chips. I want three. Give me two salsas and two of that white sauce, whatever that white sauce. I don't know what that white sauce is. I wish y'all would get this excited about Jesus. I don't know, y'all. Y'all excited about Mexican. All excited about Mexican. Y'all like only 20, 20 minutes and we get to the rest, rest and we get to the restaurant. No, but we like to, to like go there, and I've got three boys who destroy chips. They just are like ravenous wolves, you know, ready, ready to pounce, eating. Uh, you know, whenever we go there, sometimes we'll, we'll let them get a sugary drink, so we'll let them get a Sprite or something like that. Um, but I won't get one, because I'm like, I just want a couple sips. So I'm not paying three bucks for a sip. I'm like, if I want a sip, I'm gonna ask one of the boys. Like, better give me a sip, sip of your drink. So, anyway, one, one, one particular Sunday, we go out and, you know, we get food, order food. I was thirsty. I asked Jackson, can I have a sip of your Sprite? And Jackson, and Jackson gives me this look, like, 
how dare you ask me for a drink that you're paying for? You know, it's like, it's like, really? I mean, he gives me this, this look of like, oh, how dare you ask for a sip of thy drink? This is my drink. So I had to hold back the I want to choke you feeling. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I need to lovingly remind you of, um, of the source of that drink. But I was like, hey, you know what? This is going to be a teachable moment. Because honestly, Jesus had many teachable moments. Like the one moment where, I think it's Luke 16 or 17, Jesus, it says Jesus is sitting there at the synagogue watching people put their money in the basket. And it says Jesus, and, and Jesus like saw the ballers going in and giving their hundreds. And then he saw this one, this one old woman who was a widow come and bring two, two coins, like two, like literally two pennies and put them in. And at some point Jesus called his disciples and he said, I want to let you know she gave more than them. She gave more than the ballers did. And let me tell you why. Jesus even said this, they gave out of their surplus. So it wasn't even a sacrifice. They gave it as a ritual. The giving didn't hurt. The sacrifice didn't hurt. But then he says she gave more than them because she gave all she had. She, it was a sacrifice to her. So what he was saying was is, is that giving isn't about the amount. Giving is about the sacrifice. That was a teachable moment. But this teachable moment, let me tell you about this one. So I took Jackson aside and I was like, Jackson, I think you need to be reminded of something. Any sips you give me, I want to remind you, I have the power to fill that cup. Because I think you forget that. If I take a sip here, a sip there, even if I want to drink the whole thing, whatever I ask, I have the power not just to give you back what I took or what I asked you for. But I got the power to overflow. And his mind, like, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point, Dad. But, I mean, and I'll be honest, and I say this humbly, like, he, he got it. He got it. Now, most of the time, when I ask him for something, but he, he has even said this to me multiple times. Dad, you, you've got the power to fill my cup. He got the principle. And this is, I, I, I believe, of why so many people struggle with wanting to be, to be generous because they miss that they're not the source. And they think, if I give it one, no, you have to remember anything God asks you for or, or God nudgingly and lovingly says, do this, be generous, give this, you have to realize who the source is. He's got the power to fill your cup. What he asks for, he has the power to give you that. He's got the power to fill your cup. But people that are discontented will never live that way because they live with closed hands. They, they don't believe God will supply their needs according to his riches and glory. People with the satisfied soul live with open hands, saying, I'm satisfied in you, Lord. Whatever you give me is not mine. I'm a steward. Whatever you ask me to give, I'll give it. I'm not going to live with closed hands. I'm going to live with open hands. Whatever you ask me to do to give somebody, whatever you ask me to give time, talent, whatever, that makes sense?
my heart for our church is that we would have a satiated soul in the gospel in Jesus. And that from that place of satiation and satisfaction in him, we would then live passionate lives that impact this area for the kingdom of God. But at the same time, we're gonna abandon outcomes because we're not God. But as we chase contentment and we chase this, this, this life of contentment in him, we're going to be gratitude and we're going to be generous. Stand up with me, church. Was this message good? Was this something that's going to help, help, uh, going to help you? He's got the power to fill your cup. Would you just right now lift up hands with, with me? Jesus, we love you. We thank you today. We honor you. Lord, I pray today that we be people of contentment that we are not contented from the outside in, but from the inside out based on Jesus who never changes, whose track record is tried and true, who's faithful, who's good, who met our deepest need, which was to be in relationship with you. Lord, let us be satisfied people in you. In Jesus' name. Before we receive communion today, just with every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe today you would say, John, this is great that you're talking about, but deep down, you need to receive this satisfaction. Like, you, you're lost and you need to be found. You are not in the family of God. You have not been made right, right with God. Like, you don't know if you died today where you'd spend eternity. And maybe today you need to make that conscious decision to receive the love of God, to receive the gift of God, and to receive a satisfied soul in him. It's not what you have, it's who you have. So just right now, with every head out, every eye closed, before we receive communion, one of the things scripture implores us to do before we receive communion is to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And that's what this time is. So if you would say, John, like, I need to have my soul satisfied. I need to receive Jesus. I need to welcome him in, the bread of life, the living water, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm just going to count to three. And what I do, would you just say yes? You don't got to say it loud. You can say it quietly, whatever. But we just believe as you say yes, what happens? Do you open up the door of your heart? And you say, Jesus, I welcome you in. So right now, if that's you, when I count to three, would you just say yes? Ready? One, two, three. Yes. 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 Lord, we just, we just thank you. And if you said that today, if you said yes today to welcome God in, I, I just want to lead you in a prayer, and I'm just going to ask the whole church to join in with us, with, with you, and we're, we're just going to pray this with, with you. Would you pray this? Jesus, welcome you in, the satisfier of my soul. Thank you for finding me. Thank you for making me right with you. Thank you for giving me a relationship with you. And thank you for giving me eternal life. Jesus, I give myself to you and I receive all you are. And my response to what you've given me is to give my life back. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sins and giving me new life in you. Jesus, help me to not just believe this, but to walk this. In, in your name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401.
For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.